Hey guys, I'm Abby. And I'm Ricky. And, and this, this is Woman to Woman, a gender leadership podcast. we're discussing the topic of stereotypes and stereotypes is defined as a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. For me personally the main stereotypes that I've encountered are like after someone acts like what are you? I'm native, I'm black, I'm white and I'm Hispanic and it's like okay can you speak Spanish? Is your hair real? You have like Five sisters, like, do y'all have the same mom and dad? And it's like, well, why wouldn't we? Are you this into everybody's lives? No, I definitely get that. And I feel like coming to college heightened the stereotypes. Most definitely. And specifically being on a PWI is just being surrounded by so much whiteness. Your identity and the things that you define yourself as are, like, hyper-analyzed. You become hyper-aware of who you are. Exactly. And, like, your skin color, how your hair is looking today. And people are super bold. Like, they're quick to ask questions no matter how it's coming off. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it was, like, one of my first weeks here on campus, like, freshman year. Somebody came up to me, like, so what sport do you play? Under the assumption that I was an athlete, I couldn't get into the school based on my own merit or academics. So I was, like, I was super offended by that. But I'm not speaking on everyone. That's not Mm -hmm. how the entire culture is. And there are, like, good people who can be allies. But it's just, like, that ignorance because it is fundamental in being raised that way. You're trying to figure out, are they being genuine and sincere? Or is this kind of like a taunt at seeing if you embrace one of those stereotypes, maybe? This stuff also doesn't just like happen in the classroom. Some current events that we've noticed is like how women of color are portrayed on TV and film, Mm -hmm. like reality TV shows like Love and Hip Hop, The Real Housewives. It's kind of like portraying these women as aggressive Mm -hmm. black women. If you're emotional, always wanting to fight, Mm -hmm. just every emotion is so harsh. Yeah, I feel like they definitely over dramatize all aspects of Mm -hmm. the women on the show. Everything is to an extreme, so Mm -hmm. they're either like, over here having a nervous breakdown crying breaking stuff or they're trying to fight doing all of this they're being vulgar they're being too promiscuous whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be it's just a perpetuation of these stereotypes and it's what younger generations are seeing because I I remember that I was watching these shows I didn't want to be perceived like that so I felt like using those images that I saw Mm -hmm. on tv I somehow crafted myself outside of that so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be perceived like that all these women are something to laugh at. Nobody is actually invested of like, oh, she's really having a hard time. Like, I feel so bad for her. It's literally called like Housewives of this place, Basketball Wives of this place. The show seems like it should be based around maybe a relationship or something, mm-hmm. but it's the behind the scenes of these prominent male figures. Yeah. So it's always the women second and the men are on the forefront. Exactly. But this is what's going on outside of that and I just feel like they highlight the negative aspects mm-hmm. of what people perceive black women to be because it works it's it's what works in society and media that's what people want to see they want to see the the trashiness mm-hmm. or the loudness whatever that you want to call it when it's quality content it's not something that sells right. so they have to make things into the way that media wants them to be mm-hmm. So married to medicine, you know, their husbands or whatever, the doctors, dentists, whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's just like maybe one or two actual females that are doctors on there. Mm -hmm. And then one has a stay at home husband. And the whole thing is like, well, their relationship is bad because she's emasculating him. And all the other ones, it's like the men that Mm -hmm. are, are the doctors. They talk about how their wives just sit at home like you have nothing else to do but 
use my money and mm-hmm. like shop, do, clean up the house if you'd like and all this different stuff. And it's like, see, it should be a good show because it's like, okay, people of color doing big things, being doctors, dentists, mm-hmm. dermatologists, but no, it's all about mm-hmm. how wow, this man is really staying at home and his wife is just making all the money, making him feel terrible. It's definitely (laughs) when women of color do get something, it's like at second to men and it's like they have to dull their shine in order to not offend their man or whatever the case may be. And I feel like that just isn't something that's realistic or should be fair and that shouldn't be a thing that you have to do in order to have a conducive relationship Mm -hmm. or whatever in a marriage, whatever that may be. Shows like This Is Us gives, like, the opposite side of the spectrum Mm -hmm. of where, like, the woman is, like, grounded and she's, like, there for her husband, Mm -hmm. etc. But that's not all she is. Like, she's a businesswoman and, like, she's a great mother. Those things shine through. And I love to see that in TV and Mm -hmm. media. So I feel like that's not something we get a lot for, especially Mm -hmm. women of color. Recently was, like, how Disney presented some real life issues back in the day, like, with Mm -hmm. That's So Raven. It would bring up situations about body image and there was an episode where it's like Raven wasn't being hired because she was african-american and these are all real issues that was interesting show for me but then also penny pride was something that kind of resonated with me because it was like a bigger family mm-hmm. and all these friends and just like kid issues but still even that's not perfect because it was still just a light skin type family yeah it's hard to find the best of both worlds and where like women of color are represented in a good light, but also they address colorism and things like that of where darker skinned women still aren't getting the roles. Mm-hmm. They're still not being on the forefront of magazines. They're not in the mainstream movies. And it's, they're always second to lighter skinned women. That also has to be addressed because mm-hmm. that goes hand in hand. It's the intersectionality right. of being a woman of color, mm-hmm. but also there are different levels or shades mm-hmm. to women of color. So to learn more about the impact of stereotypes, we talked to a current UNC student, Hannah Locklear, about her experiences. We have with us today in the studio, Hannah Locklear, a junior here at UNC. So welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We would like to start off by asking you three W's. So who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? I'm Hannah Locklear. I'm a Native American student here on campus. I'm currently serving as an RA in Granville Towers, and I'm also an intern at the American Indian Center. I decided to be at the American Indian Center, you know, connect to my roots, help out, give back to the community. I'm an RA to make money. (laughs) It's also a really good opportunity to work with students to do programs that matter. Really good opportunity to be involved in that. Today's episode is a little bit about stereotypes and discrimination. So could you talk a little bit about stereotypes that you commonly hear or see on campus? And then to thread off of that, what are some that are specific to you and your racial or ethnic group? A lot of times I see specifically on campus and in classrooms is that there's one or two women of color in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And when it's their turn to talk, it's silent, but it feels like an audible gasp in the room. Like, oh my God, here we go again. Right. Like, this is about to be another angry rant about what we're talking about and then additionally if something is said by another classmate every face turns towards you just to hear what you got to say next because there's going to be a clap back mm-hmm. a comeback or mm-hmm. something's about to come out of your mouth that's going to make the whole class go up in an uproar i've been stopped and asked to help clean something up because they assumed that i was staff mm-hmm. um, which was an odd experience so like in the dorms i've been 
told, oh, there's something wrong with the trash room. Like, cool. Tell yeah. someone else. I'm not <laughs> cleaning for you. Just like these automatic assumptions that a woman of color is going to be put in like a serving role. And then otherwise, if they're going to express their opinion, it's going to be something that you don't want to hear. I've had a lot of, I'd say, insensitive comments made. I remember freshman year, I had a friend. I said that I had certain feelings about politics that I guess she didn't necessarily agree with. She said, well, no one really cares about Native American issues anyway. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, so it's almost this stereotype or idea that we don't have a place in politics. It was one big one I've seen at UNC. So when I raise issues about Native Americans or American Indians, it's almost like it's too much of a stretch to ask for people to care about that population. There's also been many times specifically because of my gender and being a bisexual woman that I'm assumed to be to this role of liking men and being with men, specifically also because of my race and coming from a minority group that's very heavily Christian, that being a woman of color, I need to be very straight. I need to go to church. I have tattoos. That's not okay. I dress in an androgynous look and that's not how I should look. I don't fit in with a lot of the other women who are in my racial group or ethnic category. And mm -hmm. it's almost like I'm an outlier and people don't know how to um, take me unless they're trying to digest me in chunks. So they just give me a singular role as like just the outcast. Yeah. So going off of like the stereotypes you mentioned, do you have any advice for maybe yourself or anyone else how to combat those stereotypes and how to like not let them get to you? I mean, if I'm talking to freshman year Hannah, who was very eager to find a church and a group of friends that she could go through college with regardless. I'd let her know that putting yourself into a box is going to make you the least happiest you've ever been in your life. I would much rather be on the outside and happy in who I am than on the inside, just hating where I'm at. I think in any type of group or friendship where you have to take 10 to 15 thoughts just thinking about your next words that's going to come out of your mouth mm -hmm. to be accepted, that's not the type of friendships or groups or people I want to surround myself with. Mm -hmm. In a place like UNC where we're setting ourselves up for our future, you can find lifelong friends who are going to accept you because this is a big campus and there's a lot of people open to who you are. So if you're going to make friends and build yourself a network, now is the time to build one that you're going to be comfortable with for the rest of your life. Could you talk some more about some microaggressions that you've experienced? When people hear about microaggressions, the term micro is unfair. It's this idea that if it's so micro, then why are we talking about it? There's a lot of pushback from different people about microaggressions. They don't believe it's that big of a deal. But when you hear this one thing every day, you begin to become so sensitive to it that now you have an attitude about it because it's not one time. Now it's the 50th time you've heard it in the last month. Mm -hmm. So I guess one thing that I do hear a lot is if it hasn't rained in a long time, why do people look at me to rain dance? It's so simple and I could laugh it off, but it's actually very offensive. The idea that something that was very prominent in my culture that we did um, to be made fun of. It was someone's religion and it was someone's belief and it was a part of who they were. So to make a joke that you think is very funny, I want you to think about how many people made that joke today. Then there's also just slight comments about, uh, all right, come together, everybody. We're going to powwow for a second. Just small comments like that is not something that would be seen as like such a big deal until you realize that powwows are a time to come together and celebrate your culture. And now you're taking that and you're putting it to a different purpose. So you're making what we do less important. A big problem that I have is mascots and mm -hmm. 
team logos depicting Native Americans as the Redskins or the Chiefs or using the Seminoles or whatever it can be is what you would think is harmless. They're honoring Native Americans, as Mm -hmm. a lot of people like to say, but you don't see anyone else's cultural or ethnic group being centered as a mascot and that tokenizes a Native American's role in the world. And Mm -hmm. it already contributes to the idea that we're extinct or that we all died or that we don't exist. History classes do enough to stop after, like, settlers to not talk about Native Americans enough Mm -hmm. to contribute to our invisibility. But then when people have mascots that represent Native Americans to be a team, to put on a costume, to dance, to hype up people, it already takes away that we're actually real people who exist and who are here. Thank you for that. So stereotypes can make women of color feel like that they can't be their authentic selves. And, you know, that can impact, like, your job, in the classroom, and different organizations like that. So in a survey that we found, they looked at women of color who feel like they can be their authentic selves at work. They're more satisfied with their current job and they're more excited to go to work and they would recommend their job to other people. So how do you make sure that you're being authentic and true to yourself in leadership without worrying about the stereotypes that may be placed on you? I mean, it's hard. I work as an RA in Granville Towers and Granville Towers is often seen across campus as having a very um, homogenous culture Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. That can be true. So it's very difficult to live in a place where you may be the only person who is a part of your own culture, or there may be a few other people who empathize but will never truly understand. One of the hardest things for me in being an RA has been learning that I have to continue to try to put on programs and speak from my own experience because I can have a millions cookie and condoms program. Last week, I had a program for Black History Month called Her Story, so about Black women in history. So maybe not as much people will come out for that one as they will for um, cookies and condoms, and it may make me feel like I need to make an adjustment in my own programming, but I have to be my authentic self as a person who is a sociology major or who believes in equity and education and Mm -hmm. all of these things. I have to continue to push forth and put on programs, even if I'm not seeing the success that I think I should. I know a lot of times it feels lonely and isolating when Mm -hmm. you're trying to stand up for what you believe in. A few of the only things that have kept me going has been my fiance. She's amazing. After you've had a long day and it's been hard and you've been pushing to be your most authentic self in all of these situations Mm -hmm. so that even if you fail and you're not that person, you can come home and you can talk to someone about it. I think it's important to have those relationships with other people who will try to understand because if you're walking around and you're carrying this weight on yourself, you're gonna wear yourself out and you're not gonna be happy Mm -hmm. and you're not gonna wanna stay in this space. So it's about taking this large university and creating your own space in it. And I think that's been one of the biggest proponents to my success. How do you combat some of these issues? A lot of the times it's just trying to like talk to people For example, with the Redskins, it's people's teams. So from birth, a lot of people's families have always represented this team and they don't see anything wrong with it because it's become a part of their lives. They start to see it as a part of their identity. So then asking them, do they know where the term Redskin came from? For anyone who doesn't know, when settlers were moving westward and they would ask for people to kill Native American men, women, and children, they would give them money for the scalps of Native American men, women, and children. And if they came back with a scalp of a man, they would be like, here's a red skin for so much money. When people aren't educated or know enough about who you are, then they don't see the pain that it causes for these certain issues. So I think it's important just to talk about it. I often have a lot of problems with the idea that it's the minority's responsibility to educate someone else, Mm -hmm. which 
it's tiring and it feels right. unfair the idea that we should be the ones to pick up the burden mm-hmm. to help you see mm-hmm. something that's hurting us it takes a very special person to pick up that responsibility mm-hmm. when you choose to do like i do it takes time but after time someone begins to see your point of view it's at least attempting to see it it often takes me a lot of time to think i haven't always been in this position that i'm at right now i have felt ways that were wrong and it took a lot of education and growing and reading in years 21 years to get to this point Mm -hmm. so to expect someone to have the knowledge that i've bulked up for 21 years immediately is pretty unfair so i have to remind myself of that regardless of how much it hurts or how tiring it is i just combat it by asking them to read something or look at something or listen to me explain something and if you don't you don't have to take my opinion or what i'm telling you as fact Here's some resources for you to do it yourself. This episode is sponsored by the American Association of University Women, the nation's leading voice promoting equity and education for women and girls. Since their founding in 1881, AAUW members have examined and taken positions on the fundamental issues of the day, educational, social, economic, and political. Thank you, AAUW. Are there any programs that you'd like to see implemented on campus or any advice that you have for incoming classes to ensure that they're staying in touch with their culture and their roots and not getting bogged down with the stereotypes? I'd say a mistake I made was feeling like I was too different from everyone else coming in, that Mm -hmm. I couldn't connect or relate. That's very isolating because there's not going to be another person who gets everything that you've been through. Mm -hmm. So you have to concede certain points, but understand that when you come into, well, UNC specifically, there are programs, there's a million clubs, and there's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And it's about stepping outside of your comfort zone because it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people, me included, to go into a new group of people and open myself up to the point to where I can talk about things that bother me on a daily basis. So it's about taking all of that aside and figuring out what really matters to you. Mm -hmm. So what really matters to me is my culture. And Mm -hmm. while my culture may be a little hesitant when it comes to accepting homosexuality or certain tattoos because of Christianity being so embedded in our culture now, it's important for me to say, hey, I have to enter that space to make them be more accepting. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of it is about putting yourself in that position and being uncomfortable and realizing it's just going to take time someone has to help make a change. So if more people are stepping outside of their comfort zones and entering these places, then it's going to become easier. Know your resources and just go. Another big thing is if like your culture isn't as represented as like it happens to be at this campus that my culture is represented enough to where we have clubs and we have a center. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a situation where that's not true, then you should really look into the community outside the university and maybe look to bring those aspects into the university. Mm-hmm. And then even more so, you got to break the stigma around counseling and mm-hmm. seeking help. It doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong with you, but you, you got to have someone to talk to. If you can't find anyone else to talk to, then go find that one-on-one connection with a therapist or with someone in wellness or some advisor or mentor. You have to go seek help because you you can't do it all alone. Mm-hmm. So I know we've talked a lot, asked a lot of questions. Is there anything that you want to address that we haven't brought up yet? For me personally, not only is it important being a woman of color, but it's important that I'm from poverty. 
Mm-hmm. So I think in university settings, there's a lot of lack of support for students who have been or have grown up in poverty or who mm-hmm. still currently live in poverty. Mm-hmm. And right. when you think of students who may go home and be homeless over the summer because there's no housing available to them or the amount of minority women who will be impoverished, it's important to discuss that aspect and not only talk about race or gender, but discuss the effects beyond that, the health effects, the uh, effects of not being able to go out with your friends when you're trying to reach out and do things across the university you don't have the money to go out to eat with your friends or Mm -hmm. go to a movie or go hang out over spring break in a different state or a different country like so many people are doing so Mm -hmm. being able to address those issues or let people know that they're not alone in not being able to afford these type of things or do these activities because that's also isolating and that can make you feel like you don't belong no yeah thank you so much for that and I think that's something that many of us don't often think about. So thank you for bringing it to the table. So our last question that we have for you today is why is addressing the gender leadership gap important to you? When you can address that gap of people in leadership who look like other people, mm-hmm. it may seem superficial, but being able to see someone who looks like you changes your entire perspective of what you can be. Mm-hmm. So if you never see someone who looks like you that was president, then you're mm-hmm. you're not going to feel comfortable in having the aspiration to do that. I think it's just so important for people to have representation and to see themselves in other people. I don't think much change can come until there's a truly diversified amount of people in different places in the workforce. If there's not a woman of color in a leadership position, then the rules, everything, it's not going to represent that group of people. So if you want policy to change, then you want people to care about women's health, if you want them to care about um, health for women of color, then you got to put people in those positions that know who understand, not who just read about it, but who feel it. So we asked a question on our Instagram, what stereotypes have you encountered? So we mm-hmm. had a few posts, I know, from some followers, and mostly, I think, um, it was women of color. So right. um, I think a few of them we saw were, like, with black women being pegged as the angry black woman. And I think that's a very common stereotype mm-hmm. and one that needs to be dismantled because I feel like it's not always a time and a place of, like, not being able to express your grievances or anger Mm -hmm. and out of fear of somebody like pegging you as that and I feel like that's not given to anybody else or any other race and it's like Mm -hmm. I feel like you're justified in feeling certain ways and you shouldn't have to limit or monitor yourself in fear of having that stereotype on you. Like you can't express your emotions because you'll be labeled as emotional. Mm -hmm. And it's like you can't like you can express these, but you can't overdo it. Right. So you have to be constantly monitoring yourself to see what could be perceived a different way. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have to like perform as like powerfully as you can. Mm-hmm. But another comment that we received was basically from a Native American student that said, basically for every class that she's in, they kind of just assume that she knows everything about Native Americans when there's oh, yeah. over. 600 mm-hmm. tribal nations across the U.S. alone and it's just like well you're the representative in this class uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like definitely like as a minority when you're one of the few in the class you definitely become the spokesperson right. so it's like with every question that has anything to do with minorities or diversity or anything mm-hmm. like that that everybody's always whipping their head around to see what you have to say 
And then if somebody says kind of like a backward comment or anything like that, they're expecting you and looking at you like, what is she about to say? Is she about to clap exactly. back? Like what's about to happen? So I feel like, like it's into cool. very intentional for somebody to say, okay, well, we're talking about U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, well, what is your viewpoint? Yeah. It's like you're not asking any other particular yeah. student, like, what's their viewpoint? I definitely <laughs> have professors who've done that. And it's like majority of a white class and then the professor would be white. And then, like, you would single out minority students mm-hmm. of, like, so what do you think? What do you think on these issues? And I didn't feel like that was conducive to the environment of right. there are already minority students and, like, we're very few and far in between mm-hmm. in the class. So then for you to single us out when talking about issues that surround minorities, I feel like that's just further perpetuates it. Right. And it happens so often in so many classes here at UNC, specifically for social study classes and depending on what history class you're in you're definitely singled out as like okay well just because we have some members Mm -hmm. do y'all have anything to add like would you I don't want to put you on the spot so it's like it was very intentional I feel like it's not it's a oops or like oh just because you're here and it's convenient no I feel like it's intentional when they do that right We also had the chance to talk with another woman of color in leadership on our campus, Maria Erb, who is the co-director for Diversity and Student Success in the Graduate School. So we like to start off each interview with what we call the three W's. So who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? So thank you for having me today. My name is Maria Erb, and I'm the co-director of Diversity and Student Success. And so One of the things, or what I do in that role is uh, work with my co-director, Kathy Wood. We have five initiatives that we've created since 2014 that support our graduate students here at UNC. And we've chosen to define the diversity of our students in a more broad way. So a lot of times it's typically students of color. And so what we've done with our initiatives is we've been able to extend it out to our students of color, our first-generation graduate students, our LGBTQIA plus students, military-affiliated students, and our international students. So that's what I do in the Graduate Student Center. Why do I do it? Because I am firmly and strongly committed to supporting those who are underrepresented uh, in higher education to be able to have access to all of the opportunities that anybody else would have access to. And so I feel like my daily job is to help navigate the system of higher education and the academy and help students break down those barriers or help them navigate around them. So a lot of women of color may experience what's called the stereotype threat, Mm -hmm. which refers to like being at risk of confirming like the characteristic of a negative stereotype about one social group. Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about the situations that can lead to that type of stereotype threat and the consequences? Oh, absolutely. And I I think part of that, too, for me was a lot of internalization. For me, in this unique experience of not growing up in an Asian or Asian-American family, but rather in um, a white family, I was adopted and so not necessarily wanting to play into or be part of those stereotypes you'll hear like Asians are very quiet, like Asian women are very quiet. I would never speak when I was small. Like I 
I was so shy. And as I think about it, I'm like, why was I so shy? And a lot of that came from my elementary education of every time I raised my hand in the classroom, people would say, oh, she knows the answer. She knows the answer. So I had to learn to find my voice. Trust me, I have found my voice (laughs) over these years. But now it's like, oh, she speaks. She has opinions. She has a viewpoint. And sometimes I do get very passionate about supporting the students I work with. The things that I have heard from people is, oh, you're very emotional about this. Mm -hmm. And I have to process that and think about, are they saying that because I am acting emotional? Or why can other people act that way and I can't? Also, that that internalization, that stereotype threat of, yes, I am smart. What does that look like? So a lot of it is how do I not let that overcome me, but rather I actually direct Mm -hmm. how I'm going to walk forward in life. So I know for me personally, like I can relate very well. I was also adopted by a Mm -hmm. white family. We're like in the country Mm -hmm. because we grew up on a farm, Mm -hmm. same type thing. And I'm also multiracial. So I just feel like there was a time growing up through my life and even all through school, it's just, it wasn't emphasized the self-love and like you can be all of these things at once. Mm -hmm. Intersectionality wasn't a thing and it's you're either this or this. Mm -hmm. And if you say you're this, you're detracting from the other and vice versa. So I was just wondering, do you have any like advice or like affirmations for students like that or, or anyone in general listening, how to internalize that and to push forward and realize that it is okay to be more Mm -hmm. than one and to accept all the aspects of you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think one of the greatest things my kids told me, I think someone shared this with them, was I'm not a percentage, I'm a whole person. Mm -hmm. And so to always remember that you are a whole person, Mm -hmm. that you have every right to identify how you identify. Nobody has the right to take that away from you. As you become older, I'm older now, older and wiser. I'm confident in who I am as a person and what my identity is. So because of my unique experience of being adopted, I feel like I have the skill of being able to move in and out of a lot of different groups of people. I have a skill to be able to be there and to be present and to be myself. And there's still always that little bit of peace because I'm also a first-generation college student. Sometimes that intersectionality, how do you make sense of that? It's like, okay, you never quite feel like you fully fit there. Mm -hmm. But over time, that feeling lessens and lessens and lessens. And you become more comfortable with where you are and where you want to be. Enjoying the podcast? Have comments, questions, or concerns? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at UNC Women of Worth. That's UNC W-O-M-X-N of Worth. We here at the Women of Worth Initiative create and sustain a community for women of color and women who identify as members of underrepresented racial and ethnic populations that will promote academic success, holistic student wellness and success, identity development, and sisterhood at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Go Hills. And I know you had talked about you've been in academia a while and on different college campuses. 
So could you talk to some of the stereotypes that you commonly hear or see on campus with Mm -hmm. students? Mm -hmm. What I've seen, particularly with the Asian American community, is Mm -hmm. that Asian population of students has increased significantly on college campuses. And so a lot of assumptions are being made about this population of students. And so what happens is they'll come to these campuses in the U.S. as an opportunity for education. And you see that as a trend. You know, there are a lot of institutions recruiting students coming from the Asian countries to come study in the U.S. What then happens is this interesting combination of Asian American students coming to a campus and then assumptions being made about them even if they grew up in, say, rural North Carolina or rural Vermont or New York City, assumptions being made that are similar to assumptions being made about the students coming from China or or, um, South Korea or India, questioning whether or not they speak English. You know, those are the types of things. And, And it's like always being that foreigner, even though you might never have left the U.S., but having those assumptions made about you automatically. Um, And I know you've been talking a little bit about your stereotypes that are based on your race. Have you experienced any, like, gender-oriented stereotypes? And if you have, or if you want to still speak to the race aspect, that's fine, too. How have you internalized and combated this Mm -hmm. in your lifetime? Mm -hmm. I just actually came from the Women of Worth Lunch and Learn, and we talked about authenticity in the workplace today. It's a very powerful Lunch and Learn. Sheena Jacobs, one of our Women of Worth co-chairs for the Carolina and Career Development Committee, she and I co-chair, talked about authenticity in the workplace and how for us in higher education, in our careers, having to be mindful of how can we be authentic? I think what comes back for me a lot is, okay, How come women and women of color have to work so hard to prove themselves Mm -hmm. to get a position? But yet I have seen white males just get the position Mm -hmm. without having to put in nearly as much effort. That is hard for me to reconcile. And so how can I be part of a culture that can make it an equal footing for everybody? Has there any been like any instances where you've had to help like a college student navigate the stereotypes they've encountered while here? How I have helped students navigate is being able to be someone that they can come to talk with. I call it the am I uh, am I crazy check because <laughs> students will come in to me and they'll sit down and they'll be like, this me? happened to me. Like, mm-hmm. is it just me? Is this just my experience? Mm-hmm. And because of my experience in working with graduate students and undergraduates, mm-hmm. I can reassure students that no, it's not just you. These are things that occur. These are things mm-hmm. that happen. And how can you move ahead without letting that keep you down from accomplishing Mm -hmm. your goals. So I try to give students tools, ways that they can respond or tools that they can use to help them navigate and feel more empowered. At another institution I was at, I would have students tell me, people tell us that we're all Mexican. I'm from El Salvador. (laughs) I am not Mexican. You have every right to say you are not from Mexico. In fact, Mm -hmm. I'm from El Salvador, and and Mm -hmm. here's where El Salvador is. But empowering students to feel as though you as students have every right to say, no, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that in a respectful manner. 
But here's my experience. I am from Nicaragua or El Salvador. So to not let some of that behavior slide when you encounter those things. And I know earlier you began talking a little bit about authenticity. You said you mentioned that y'all were talking about the lunch and learn. So could you speak a little more to that and what that really means? Like what is the authenticity and what it surrounds um, and how women of color can make sure that they are being like their authentic and true self in leadership without mm-hmm. worrying about those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheena did an incredible job in sharing that today. She brought up a lot for me in terms of authenticity because we want to be our authentic selves, but it does take work, particularly in the professional world. All of us need to be strategic about how we move through our professional lives, you know, making sure we have connections and relationships, networking with people in an authentic way, you know, not just I'm going to be your connection because you might get me something, but to find those people who you can develop a good relationship with Mm -hmm. that you know you can count on, you know, and so making sure you have those people around you Sheena talked about values, you know, what are your non-negotiables when it comes to your values? And so she talked about, I'm not going to swear at you and like fuss (laughs) at you in a way that I don't want coming back at me. And so being able to be true to yourself, to garner that respect from others, um, to hold yourself in high regard, making sure that you tell the truth, Mm -hmm. tell your truth. I've been doing this work for a long time. I call it as I see it. And I feel like that's been my guide um, throughout my career is I'll choose. You have to be strategic. Again, I, I bring that word up. I have to assess. I have to figure out, is it worth me saying something at this point in time? If I say this now, what are the consequences? A lot of it, a lot of it, does become like second nature. It's not like this, you come upon a situation and it's like, wait a minute, I've got to go through my 20 steps of Mm -hmm. how I think I'm going to respond to this, (laughs) but rather this is what I'm going to do. But I try to always be consistent in who I am. For me, it's never about this likability contest. It's like, I don't care if you like me. I just want you to respect me Mm -hmm. and to respect the work that I do. Mm -hmm. So If you like me as a result of you like the work that I do, great, but that's not my motivation for doing things in my career. Mm -hmm. It's I am going to speak the truth and advocate for the students that I work for. Mm -hmm. I work for the students wherever I am um, so that um, I can be authentic to what I'm doing and what my hopes are for my career. Thank you so much for that. I know that I will definitely keep that in mind. Final question that we have for you today is why is addressing the gender leadership gap important to you? I think we need to see more women of color, particularly in higher education. This is my chosen field that Mm -hmm. I am working in. It is very, very important for me to support my fellow women of color to achieve in higher education. We need Mm -hmm. to see more presidents or chancellors of universities Mm -hmm. who are women of Mm -hmm. color. We need to see more of those VP roles. Um, We need to see more leaders in that. And particularly for me in my uh, situation, being able to see more Asian and Asian American women in these roles because there are very, very few of us. And so Mm -hmm. to be the role model for 
women coming up through in their graduate programs. That's really important. So anything I can do in my part to support uh, these women coming up through, that is very, very important to help change the landscape of higher education. We've gotten so many gems out of that conversation, and <laughs> I just know our listeners will benefit from it also. We just want to thank you for being here today and sharing all of your knowledge and advice with us. Great. Thank you yes, for having thank me. You. Like for me, just being who I am and how I was raised, stereotypes and discrimination and things like that are very difficult to talk about. They can become very touchy and sensitive topics, right. but our guests, they did an amazing job exploring the topic. I really enjoy having two very different cultural perspectives. We had the Asian American with Maria and then the Native American with Hannah. Right. I think that's important that we do form this sense of like sisterhood within minorities of color women of color specifically obviously but just making sure that we can reach out to other women of color who aren't within our same minority groups Mm -hmm. I think something that I appreciated coming from both also was like after talking about Maria and how her experience was different because she came from an adopted family and everything like that it made me I guess take a step back and I was like well being multiracial, I feel like I also can't fit in enough with mm-hmm. those specific groups. So I can't really identify with all struggles or all aspects. I don't feel a huge connection. Like, I feel like I don't fit in enough. Mm-hmm. So therefore, what is my position? Like, am I still allowed to participate in these things? Right. With Maria's interview, I know that was a big thing that she honed in on about identities mm-hmm. And like making sure you're taking time to figure out who you are and not even only that, but pushing it further out into how you want people to perceive you. Because I think it's important that we address the intersectionality of our identities because it's very complex and it's not you're this one thing. And because Mm -hmm. you're this one thing, you can't be something else like it all works together to define and make us who we are. Mm -hmm. So we can't be like too caught up in when people ask, who are you or what are you? but making sure that we're comfortable in our own skin and claiming all of these different unique identities that make us who we are. Mm. And I really appreciate how, as soon as we asked her, like, who is she and what does she do? And like, Mm -hmm. why is that important and everything? She said that she really believes in, like, actually creating a space that supports those from underrepresented groups in higher education and helps them to, like, get access, have access to opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Mm-hmm. But that's so important to actually have those people that are advocating for you, for anybody. And it's like, because I know kind of where you're coming from. Exactly. Something she said that really resonated with me and stuck with me, she said, I'm not a percentage, I'm a whole person. Right. And I feel like that's not emphasized enough because I feel like oftentimes we're too busy trying to put ourselves into these boxes mm-hmm. based on like whatever applications, mm-hmm. things we're applying to because it's like something that society has constructed that we have to be within these certain elements. Mm -hmm. And that's simply not the case that we can embrace all the individual aspects of ourselves. And she definitely talked about how it's kind of like she really does appreciate the individualized aspect of all the students that she comes in contact with. She was like, like she helped me and pointed me in the direction of like some resources that I could go to. Like if I feel like I don't fit in, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of other spaces that, will like encourage this like okay you don't feel like you fit in we don't either right that is something that we can come together on Mm -hmm. yeah and definitely I feel like she talked about 
being a woman of color, we're often like hyper aware of the surrounding mm -hmm. stereotypes that right. could be placed on us. But at the same time, trying not to perpetuate them and how that can become very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to sometimes note that just because they're going to be those preconceived stereotypes that we still have to decide how we ourselves are going to internalize it and how we're going to let them define mm -hmm. us or not define us. So I feel like we can use it as like ammunition to keep pushing forward. So straight away a little bit from Maria's interview, I know Hannah, like I was so glad to have her on the show because she brought that student perspective that mm -hmm. we haven't had so far. Right. And I feel like being a woman of color, it made me like made it very easy to resonate with her because we're all, I'm also a student here. A lot of the things that she experienced, I experienced too, but right. obviously on different levels within our own mm -hmm. ethnicities. But I feel like she also had this passion and really honed, honed in on emphasizing going back to her community that mm -hmm. she was raised in and like being that type of mentor and providing guidance mm -hmm. to the like the next generation. And I really commend her for that and that bravery and dedication to doing mm -hmm. something like that, because I know if you grew up in a neighborhood or a community that could, had like traumatizing aspects for you, I feel like it's very hard to overcome that mm -hmm. and being willing to go back to ensure that the children and the kids coming up after you are going to be able to be afforded things mm -hmm. that you weren't. And I know Hannah said that she was also, she was like actually a first gen mm -hmm. and she just had all these opportunities. Like she got accepted to multiple universities, but she chose UNC for a particular reason. And it's just like, now that she's here, she's happened to like vouch for herself. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, this is a college that basically begged you to come here, but now you have to explain why you're here to like your peers. Yeah. Like she mentioned how she was um, a resident advisor and it's just like some of the students will come up to her and I think she said that their trash need to be taken out or toilet was clogged, something like outrageous. And they were, she was like, okay, so mm -hmm. tell the cleaning crew, like, what are you telling me this for? And it's like, just because of your race, ethnicity, just anything, it was just like, you're obviously here because you're cleaning and that just wasn't the case. So that was a really, that was kind of like a slap in the face yeah, <laughs> for definitely. choosing to come here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like definitely with both Maria and Hannah, we see that they have gone like above and beyond to like make sure they're not enforcing these stereotypes. Right. And like they have gone outside of the typical stereotypes for each of their ethnicities and like they're being advocates for other women mm -hmm. and other people within their communities so that that's not a thing that keeps being perpetuated. And I commend them both for that. I think that's really something that even I as a woman of color can work on, just making sure that I'm being there for others and the younger generations mm -hmm. because I didn't necessarily have that growing up, but I feel like it's very important for people to have that system and that feeling of home, I guess, and community that they can come to because I feel like it's harder when you're thrown out into society when you didn't have that background. So exactly. definitely commend it. So thanks again to our guests, Maria Erb and Hannah Locklear today. This episode was produced by Ricky Head, Abby Murray, Kamisha Chalmers, and Karami Ba. And our executive producer is Erica Wallace. And we also like to leave you with a final quote. So once a stereotype has been adopted, it becomes a filter through which we selectively recall and use information by anonymous. Make sure you tune in because next week we'll be talking about the gender wage gap. And you'll love to hear from some of the amazing women in the workforce here at UNC. 